You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant and executive coach and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. Welcome back. And in this episode, it's not a solo episode this week. I have Valerie Rainford, who is an extraordinary woman who started her own business and launched her own consulting business in January this year. Yes, I know. She's going to share with you the transformational work that she did when she was at J.P. Morgan chase for the last 12 years and then the work that she's doing right now we also talk about of course in this time of corona virus how she's supporting her businesses how she's responding herself and what's the what's our lessons that we have to learn from it so we also have a conversation about a very rich 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 interview that we had the other day when we got together virtually of course i'll come back to her in a minute and introduce her and tell you a bit, a bit more about her before we head to the interview. Before that, there's a couple of things I want to kind of share. And that is, first of all, I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you are staying well. I hope that you are practicing all the things, the advice that we've been given around managing this virus in this moment. And that we are heeding the guidance that we need to heed in order for us to, the quicker we can follow the guidance, the quicker we can get out. In the meantime, we're staying home and maximizing the time that we are at home in whatever conditions we are in. You know, I think about you. I do. I think about you and I, and I send healing intentions and, and love to you all at this time. So I've been trying to think about what are the things that I can be doing that can be helpful. I'm always trying to think, how could I be helpful in this moment? And I'm, gonna, I'm doing two things. One is I put on a coaching program for coaching workshop for people who want to launch a a business as a coach. And whether you are an aspiring coach or whether you're a coach who has um, already launched your business but hasn't been able to make a decent living, I share with you my five kind of step process or my five principles and approaches that I absolutely has to be there if you're going to be successful. And I've been doing it for 21 years I've got track records, so I wanted to share those things, those principles that have allowed me to reset up my business in the US, and it works in the US, and it works in the UK, and I believe it works anywhere. Well, that workshop happened last Thursday. The next one of those is going to be on Thursday, the 23rd of April. That's Thursday, the 23rd of April will be the next workshop. We'll be doing that, and that workshop is $25. And why is it so cheap? Because... I want to make it accessible to as many people as possible to get the, the, the nuggets so that you can start working on your business now and start transforming your business now. And yes, now still, you can still create your business in this moment. Absolutely. The other thing is, if you know me and you've been following this podcast for a while, you know that I believe in living your life by design and not default. So I'm putting on a virtual workshop, Living Life by Design. It's a vision workshop. And in that workshop, I'm going to guide you through a process where you're going to reflect and create your future You're going to come away with an inspiring vision for your life. You're going to come away with a beautiful vision board that you would have created. And you're also going to learn and understand the power of creating a future like that in that way. Because the truth is, 
your future influences your present. And when we have a, a, our future, whatever is coming at us is the thing that drives our behavior today. So if you have an inspiring future, that influences the actions you take right now. And I want us to be always taking actions that's inspiring, that's exciting, that's forwarding what we're up to in the world, right? So that comes through through dreaming. And in fact, dreaming is a form of planning. So join me on Saturday the 25th. And the price of the course is $34.97 for this two-hour workshop. I want to share with you a quote which is one of my favorite quotes because it really illustrates what I believe. And that is every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. And that's to change the world broadly and that's to change your world as well, even in these challenging times. So we have to do the work to vision the future. And that's the work we're going to do in the workshop that I'm putting on on Saturday, the 25th. There's going to be a virtual workshop Saturday, the 25th, which is going to be $34.97. If you're interested in doing that workshop, there's going to be a link in the show notes. But also you could go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash vision. That's shirleymcalpine.com forward slash vision and sign up for that workshop, of course there'll be a limit on the number of people who could do it. But if you can sign up for that workshop there and we are going to vision our future and we're living our life by design and not default. The other thing is what I haven't shared and I don't know why I haven't is I've started these journals on Amazon. So you could, they're just kind of like um, daily journals, beautiful designs and quotes on the front. And one of the quotes is this, every great dream begins with a dreamer. It's also in one of the books. I will throw in a journal for anyone who does the vision workshop as well. If you go to shirleymacalpine.com forward slash vision, and then we're going to get on Zoom together and we are going to vision our future. So I'm excited about that. I know that you are going to be excited about that. And I really just like, I'm just loving the whole idea. I don't even know why I didn't think about it before, but you know, these are the times and it generates, as I said, I think I've used it before. Necessity is the mother of invention. When you're in a particular place, you get creative in different ways. And this is one of the things I want to offer. So I'm excited about offering it to my listeners. Come on, we're going to vision the future. So let me share with you something more about my wonderful guest, Valerie Rainford, who I know you are going to really enjoy this interview. So Valerie is an author, she's a speaker, she's a thought leader, she's a talent strategist, and she's an executive coach. She launched her consulting firm called Ellery Talent Strategies in January, which partners with senior leaders to drive strategies that visibly increase the representation of diverse talent within their companies. She is absolutely passionate about equity and diversity. And that has been shown through her career in the last 30 years. So for 21 years, her career at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, she rose to become the most senior black woman there. And she was the first to achieve the senior vice president role. Prior to her launching her business this year, she spent 12 years at J.P. Morgan Chase, leading numerous complex transformation programs, but included 
she was the head of Advancing Black Leaders, which was a unique and first of its kind role where she was charged with delivering increased focus on attracting, hiring, retaining and advancing black talent. And the results were increasing the black senior executive talent by over 70 percent and setting up enough strategies that are in the system. So that continues when she's moved on. So she, her commitment is to share those strategies with other organizations across corporate America. So that's why she launched her consulting business in January this year. And we talk about her work. We talk about how she achieved those outcomes. And we are grateful for it because I know as I go into organizations as, an, as a coach and as a leadership facilitator, the challenges that black leaders are facing as they navigate their career in corporate America. So her work is so, so, so needed. I'm excited to give you Valerie Rainford. Valerie, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive. Thank you for having me, Shirley. Well, I'm excited because it's been a while since I wanted you on the show. We had no idea that by the time that we're sitting together that we would be in a, in a really unique time um, in the, globally and for everyone. I want obviously us to still explore you, your life and what you've been doing and how you've got to be the successful woman that you are. And also I want us to, to, to share around what does this moment feel like for you and what are you, how are you responding and sure. how you're reacting as well. Sure. Um, and how do we, and just kind of like, I think it's about for me, in the interviews that I'm doing during this period, it's like, how can we start to kind of make sense of what is happening and how can we help ourselves during this journey? You know, how do we come out the other end with whatever lesson this has for us? It's something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. I feel like if we can also be individually intentional about what's going to be my takeaway when I come out the other side, even though I don't know when that time had a lot of those conversations over the last couple of weeks. So I look forward to sharing right. a little bit of what I'm doing and what I'm learning in that regard. Great. So let's start with you sharing with our listeners, you know, about you, your life and like how you came to be where you are and what you're doing now. Like give me a sense of, of that. Valerie Rainford. I own a new consulting practice called Ellery Talent Strategy. We are focused specifically on helping senior executives look at their diversity data to find insights that move the needle. I started it in January, as you know, so <laughs> we're fairly new at it. This is a rough time to be starting a new business, That's but I'm right. really very grateful that I have a number of clients that are very interested that, in the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. How I came to that work is, you know, 30 some odd years in corporate America, always on the business side. First, I was at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York for 21 years where there I started as a bank examiner traveling the world, actually, examining banks. I developed an expertise in process improvement and change control mm -hmm. when I was at the Federal Reserve. Uh, 21 years, 14 jobs, all of them were going from place to place, focused on fixing something that was broken. Right. About 13, 14 years ago now, I was recruited to J.P. Morgan Chase to, for a similar role. I joined J.P. Morgan Chase as an operations consultant 
and I actually traveled J.P. Morgan Chase for 13 years, nine specifically out of that time, just working on crisis-related activities, right? So, you know, when I joined J.P. in 2007, just after get after getting there, like the the world started feeling like it was going to end then too. Right. Uh, I worked on everything from the Washington Mutual acquisition to the Bear Stearns purchase, the mortgage crisis, all along using the same school uh, uh, tools and skills that I had developed at the Federal Reserve around change and process management. Mm-hmm. And then about four years ago, the chairman of uh, JP was very uh, frustrated with the lack of progress around Black talent in financial services, but more specifically in J.P. Morgan, and came up with the idea for starting a role focused specifically on advancing Black leaders at J.P. Morgan. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to fill that role specifically because, you know, his direct request was that he did not want a traditional diversity person. He did not want a traditional HR person. He wanted a business person who had a passion and interest for diversity. And I had that because while I have been doing this 29 years collectively, then almost 30 years collectively as a business executive, all along the way, I had developed diversity programs. I developed the Federal Reserve's first diversity program, um, started the first women's groups, hired, mm-hmm. helped hire the first chief diversity officer in the history of the Fed. I get to J.P. Morgan, and we ramped up the mortgage business with 30% women and ethnic minorities. And so I knew how to do that from yeah. a business executive sponsor perspective. Um, and so I took on the role of advancing Black leaders for J.P. Morgan, first of its kind, with the only mandate was to do something different and experiment, but try to fix this longstanding right. problem. One year in, we were you know, making good progress we had never seen before. Two years in, we were breaking records. Three years in, we had broken the records. You know, significant increase in Black executives across the world. That's a significant increase in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I say, our chairman gave me the greatest gift about a year ago. And that gift was when we talked about the progress that we were making, he said, well, it's not good enough that J.P. Morgan Chase is only winning in this space. We need to go share. We need to expand and share. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that we started the Advancing Black Pathways strategy, which was the sister program to Advancing Black Leaders. And that program picked up on what we were doing around students and leadership and wealth and financial literacy. And at the same time, um, Jamie encouraged me to start going out and talking to our client. So I would be on client pitches talking about how we had managed to do something that had never been done on Wall Street before. And at the end of every one of these sessions, these guys were saying, like, how do we find ourselves a Valerie Rainford? Like, how can we hire you? Right. So, <laughs> so it didn't take wow. long. To figure out. Yeah, it was um, it was really very interesting. Like I remember one CEO I was in a meeting with said, like, like this is brilliant. Like, how'd you do it? I was like, we kind of made it up, right? <laughs> we ex- we experimented. And he's like, You really should be out here doing this for everybody. He was the first person to put it in my mind. Mm. In the fall last year, you know, I just, I said to the leadership of JP Morgan, like, I really think this is something that I want to do. And they were tremendously supportive. 
And so I started my own firm. Uh, we announced in September of 2019 that I was going to be leaving the firm and starting my own company. Right. And between September and December 31st, I had essentially locked up all of the clients that I had been talking to previously. Excellent. And so unlike most entrepreneurs, I was able to kick off in January with a nice book of clients who are all very interested in learning what we did at JP Morgan and replicating it in their own way to advance diverse talent in corporate America. And, and fortunately, not just in financial services, um, which is really neat. So that's what I've been up to. And that's how I got there. That's so cool. I mean, the fact that there's the I mean, we've been diversity and the commitment to real sustainable change varies greatly as Absolutely. we know from company to company. And so it's exciting that you have found, number one, you've got the, you, the results that you got at J.P. Morgan Chase. And then number two, that you found that the market wanted that from you. You know, yeah. so it's, so it is a really strong place to start, isn't it? A business yeah. and the market yeah. is saying to you, hello, when yeah. are you going to start? <laughs> you know, rather well, than when people have an idea and they want to push, they want to sell it to the market. That's right. Yeah. What's interesting about the experience that I've seen now over the last many months with starting this business is like CEOs are frustrated. They're, frust they're frustrated that they don't, they really don't understand like why this diversity thing is a problem and why it's not moving. Right. And so what's different about how I do the work and it was different about how I did the work at JP Morgan. It's all fact-based, right? Like I, I don't do the emotional piece of this work. I leave that for other people. Mm -hmm. If a client does not want to give me their data, they don't want to work with me. Right. right? Like the first thing right. I do is where's the NDA? Where's the non-disclosure agreement? Right. Let's get after the data. And every time, Shirley, 100% of the time that I look at the data, I see things that they have overlooked for decades. Right. Right. Because now I know what to look for. And when I walk into the CEO, because the CEO is always my client, right? Mm -hmm. When I which walk is, into which the Which is CEO, so critical in this. That's that you've right. Got Leaders right. who you've got the, the person who's a decision maker in the business because right. other, the other thing which we know is people then have such internal battles with the, even though they're committed, but unless they've got, if, unless, yeah. unless you've got the leaders on board, the senior, the That's top right. leaders on board, then you're going nowhere. And what I have found is every time I have walked into the room with these guys and shown them evidence of something they need to pay attention to, they pay attention every time, every time, right. every time, right? Like when, like it's no, I, what I say to them is that the fact replaces the emotion and the anecdote, right? right? Because diversity really is this, you know, people perceive it as it's this feel good thing. And no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. This is about business. Mm -hmm. And these are about the things that are holding your business back. Exactly. And you, and you can't, the data does not lie. And not only do we give them what I call Ellery insights, but we also give them solutions that are proven to move the needle. And right. it's all about moving the needle. I'm, you know, I don't have conversations with people about unconscious bias and all of that. Like that's, 
let the diversity officers do that. Mm-hmm. My work is intended to supplement all of that. Right. And when and it is fact-based evidence with actionable and provable solutions that work every time. And that's how business people think. Yes. Right. So you're using the language. I mean, the other thing is you're using the language of what they're, that they speak. You're using the kind of methodologies and the approaches that that they're used to. So you're, so then they can hear something that they've not heard before. Right. That's right. And I, the, this week I had a call with um, one of my clients. We're wrapping up uh, a particular data engagement. And I just said, you know, what's your feedback for us? And he said, what I love about your work is that you've been in enough businesses. You know how we think. Mm-hmm. You adjust to our culture and you adjust your presentation to what the leader on the other side of the table needs. And I think that's the benefit of having business backgrounds right. where you can not only talk the lingo that they understand as be right. business with metrics and facts and solutions, but you can also understand that some people just need to receive it differently. Yeah. Right? They need it translated in a language for sales, right? I was talking to one very senior leader recently. And when I, you know, I said to him, listen, it's like anything else. If you don't get enough sales in the top of your funnel, you're not going to have enough prospects or or, or converted exactly. clients on the back end. And like I could see the whites in his eyes because he's like, yeah, I got it. Right. right? So I right. think that's just there are a lot of people out here trying to do um, diversity work and doing it very, very well. But I I have just found the niche mm-hmm. for folks focusing on data and solutions and delivering that to leaders in the C-suite who are really serious about moving their needle for Black and Latinx talent. The other thing that I love about the the work that you're doing and the level of the work, level of the, the where you are working at in organizations, then there's more strategic thinking, strategic commitment. There's usually dollars behind the work to the interventions because that's one of, there's been over the years, my one of my biggest frustrations as I've seen interventions around diversity that are not strategic they're not that are not comprehensive enough that are never going to make the difference because there's no money behind it and I don't know any business unit that can implement a strategy without money and I always like how's this going to work with no money and no team so you know like and but when you've got the level of leader that you're working on then they're the ones who can make those decisions and make things happen in the business you know that's absolutely Absolutely right. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for what you're what Thank you're you. offering. I'm excited about Thank the you. direction. And that, as you said, as a compliment to, there's still the examination of. I mean, the whole space around like privilege and unconscious bias and how do we celebrate diversity? There's all of that work still. And yeah. then there's this. There's it's like, can we cover the spectrum of what's needed? and the level of interventions yeah. that's needed to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other things that I tr- I believe in, and this is how I approach my clients, is you have to want me in your organization. Right. If you don't want me in your organization, I'm not the person to hire. Exactly. And by the way, you have to want impact and real progress to want me in your organization. Right. Because right. I'm not coming to fight with you. That's not what I do. Right. I'm not here to defend 
you know, diversity. I, that's not what I do. I yeah. am here exclusively to supplement what you're already doing, to tell you where you have missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And anytime I give you an insight, I'm going to give you the evidence to support the insight. Nothing right. is going to be about what I think or I feel. Nothing is going to be about, you know, what my gut tells me. If my gut tells me something, Shirley, I'm going to get the data to support it. And then I'm going to come and give you the insight and I'm yeah. going to give you the evidence that I found to support it. Right. And every time, every time, there has not been a time that I have not gone to, they're getting their money's worth because I go into them and I give them stuff and they go, how the hell did you discover that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, of course, you know what you're, you know what it looks like when you, yes. that's the thing. That's where the expertise is, isn't yeah. it? You yeah. know, you yeah. know what it, looks, what it looks like. And I think one of the things I know when you're, when you're, when you're in a space of mastery is people can't understand how you produce that result because it just looks like yeah they're giving you some information that they've looked at a million times and then you're like well how can you not what how can how did you see that pattern when I couldn't see it yeah and that's when whole clients (laughs) it's it's just I love this work and by the way I love it even more that I'm not dealing with corporate politics right like I just (laughs) love doing it on my own time I'm tickled. Every time I go into a client, they have whole workforce analytic teams. They have whole data reporting teams. They have whole diversity teams. What I realized about this work that I was doing at JP Morgan, like Jamie Dimon gave me some incredible gifts. He gave me complete access to data. He gave me complete air cover. He gave me sponsorship wow. to do this work. He gave me a blank slate. He told me the day that I accepted this job, he said to me, and don't be afraid to fail. And if something doesn't work, you try something else and don't do what everybody else is doing. Do something different. It was brilliant. brilliant. I didn't even know what I was stepping into, but I took advantage of every single one of those things that he gave me, including an unencumbered budget, by the way. I made up from scratch what we created there. And I was able to learn so much about how you tell a story about what is holding people back. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just having incredible fun going from company to company and company and proving that there is no difference from company to company. Right. Exactly. That's another thing I'm loving about this and your work is because lots of companies like to think that they're really unique in that, but yeah. no, 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 you know, because it's no. not about the company. It's no. about the large societal environment that exactly. we've been living in and the institutional barriers that have been created and the biases that people come to the workplace with that they exactly. don't even know that they have. Exactly. So the system you, I mean, you, it, it, it can manifest in slightly different ways in different systems, but it's still there. That's it's right. still there. It's That's still right. there. And how is so, so it begs the question, obviously, this is a time when you're launching, you've just launched, you've got some really strong clients to start off with to kick, your, kick off your, your business. So how are you fearing now, fearing now, not fearing now, it could be both now, given where we are um, in COVID 19 
this yeah. this brave new world that we're in at the moment. Yeah, well, it is both, right? It's fearing and fearing. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible time to be starting a business, so I'm truly grateful um, that I had a really good running start at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I am afraid that you know what happens when we run into crises like this is that companies back away from diversity first. Mm-hmm. But in these first couple of weeks, I I still have. Uh, companies coming at me looking for the work. So I'm grateful for that. I have one client who has canceled that client. I won't say the name of the client, Mm -hmm. but, you know, a large majority of their employees have been furloughed in the last 14 days. Right. So I completely get why Mm -hmm. they needed to back away because payroll is far more important than paying right now. Right. I did for this particular client, I did some work with them earlier in the year and associated with that, they purchased my book, my memoir. And two Fridays ago, I was on a call and I got an email that said, wow, like forgot to tell you, we're having a virtual book club. Everybody's working from home. We decided to have a virtual book club with our employees. We should have told you about it. I was like, give me the number. I'll dial in. So I dialed in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got to talk to some of the people that I had been working with. Like all of those people have been furloughed since two Fridays ago, Shirley, right? Like I got on the call two weeks ago and we're talking to them about hope and resilience and taking care of each other and all of those things. And here we are two weeks later and every single one of those junior people are without a job, furloughed. So hopefully the jobs come back and all of the executives have taken a pay cut. So when I think about how I'm, I'm faring better than they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, am I scared? Yeah. You know, my plan was to, once I'm out of corporate America, never to go back again. And when you're, when your savings is partially in a stock market that is losing value every day, like it mm-hmm. scares me that everything that I've built, you know, part of that cushion is gone. But I also understand that I have it far better than many other people. Mm. I have it far better than, you know, the people who don't know how they're going to feed their families. Right. 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 Or the people who were already struggling to feed their families and now exactly. they're unemployed. You know, I, I um, spend my time. I also do coaching of executives too, as part of my practice. And Friday, I had a full day of coaching and everybody that I spoke to was impacted by COVID in some way. Someone that they know is either fallen ill or are are dying now. I'm worried for the world. I'm worried for the country. I I feel like this, it's life threatening to everybody. Mm -hmm. It's life threatening from a physical perspective, emotional perspective, a financial perspective, a health perspective. And I, I don't think the leadership team of name it, the country, <laughs> companies truly understand the impact and the setback that this crisis is having on, you know, people who have been marginalized, right? right? right. People who have been trying to make it on minimum wage and now they have no wage. People who, even the people who are working from home which is harder, we know, as entrepreneurs, right? It's harder to find boundaries around work from home. And now people are working from home at the same time, but they're trying to school their kids. 
at the same time that they're dealing with the fear and grief and financial loss mm-hmm. and people around them starting to die. And my heart breaks for everything that I hear. Yesterday, I was talking to someone who she's working from home. Her husband works in a hospital. His job is an analyst in the hospital. They change his job. And now they've asked him to move bodies. Right. Like what kind of, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? Or we get alerts. I don't know, but you would get alerts on our phone, which indicates a different, you know, changing the rules around what we're doing. Yeah. A call out to doctors and healthcare workers and, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah. I feel like it's like, it's like being in a, in a, I know of you that sometimes I feel like it's like being in a bad movie. Yes, it's surreal. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you know, my daughter keeps pulling up these um, movies that she's finding or someone posted on Instagram or Twitter mm-hmm. that people, this was in movies before, not just the Bill Gates one. In preparation for knowing I wanted to start this business, we downsized our home. We were living in a condo, you know, right in New Jersey, out right outside of New York City. And we were there last week and it was the most stressful thing, right? The dog had to go out every three hours. We're getting on this elevator. You know, people are not respecting social distancing rules. We're sitting on top of each other. (laughs) And we were sitting Saturday night. My oldest daughter um, got laid off. My youngest daughter hasn't had any activity in her work. And so Saturday night we're sitting there and like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, why are we here? We, we have a place in Florida. Like, we should go. We have more room. So Sunday morning at the crack of dawn, we piled up the car, including the dog, and we drove 18 hours, stopped at the Florida border because they wanted to dis- discourage people from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, right? Like, we're in America, mm-hmm. and we're monitoring our own borders. But thank God. They let us through. We're now quarantined for 14 days. We're two days into the 14 days. My daughters took one run to the supermarket to load up the house for a month. (laughs) They were the only ones in the store with masks and gloves. Like, surely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand what people are doing. I I mean, I don't even know if they're, like, tuning into the news, reading any of the information. reputable kind of articles that are out there that informs us of what this is and informs us of how it grows. And I think when people, they think, oh, that's New York and that's happening in New York or that's happening in Washington or that's happening in Chicago. I mean, lots of the urban areas, that's happening in California. They're like, not, it's like, it's not happening to me. There's some kind of break in relationship to what's actually happening such that they are then, not acting accordingly. Yeah. Maybe yeah. their Friday will come, right? So Friday, like we were already observing the rules, like, you know, right. gloves at every door, yeah. <laughs> masks at every door, hand sanitizer at every corner of the house. Like we were already observing those. But I have to tell you, Friday hit me hard. To hear that, you know, one young lady that I was talking to lost her friend in Detroit. To hear someone who works with me lost their neighbor. To hear two people that I know in Brooklyn that now have COVID, to hear my friend talk about two uncles who have passed, like mm-hmm. Friday, Friday hit me a little bit different because now I know people who 
have yeah, people. Same. Mm-hmm. And so I think what some of the, because by the way, I'm, I have not watched the news. I can't get myself to, I get mad. I get angry. I get depressed. I can't sleep. So I don't, I have not been watching the news. I get enough of it to stay informed, mm-hmm. but I had almost been addicted to it. Right. When people are seeing it on TV or not, and it's not impacting them, it's not real. Yeah. I think you're right. That's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, we've been in we we we've been in like social distancing. We're in our third week, but I look out the window and I see work. There's some workmen on the other building, like on this, and it's just like, really, yeah. Two of you, yeah. And yeah. they haven't got masks on. They're not wearing gloves. They're hanging out together, and I don't understand it. I don't yeah. understand it, but you're right. I feel, feel like I've, I've had, I now know three people who've been impacted through loss. Yeah, it really brings it to a different level. And you start to process, I think every, every, I think part of it is to keep asking the question about what does this mean? How do I keep making sense of this extraordinary situation that we're in? And part of it is the denial. Obviously, people are in denial. There are some people who are just like, one is not gonna it's not gonna impact me. And there's other ways like, I don't even know this isn't really happening. People are just making this stuff up. And I wanna say, if I think about the early, early days of it, I wanna own that I was like, okay, people, can we just calm down and then figure out what we're doing rather than this panic? Because it's like panic panic demic. Like if I think about, I don't know, February as as it started to kind yeah. of edge forward. But then at some point, it's just like, no, you know what? I need to read some. I don't want to do the sensational news. I want to read some material that really gets to what this is. So let me look but, for something that's, that what is surely, it? And I think that's the. Let me challenge you, though, because right. I, don't, I don't think that that may be your way of getting an understanding. Mm-hmm. But not everybody is in, is encouraged or inspired by that. And it makes me think back on like my own story of having enormous difficulty throughout my life. Enormous. I write about it in my book. You know, I write about when my mom committed suicide, you know, when I was very young. My, my brother committed suicide when I was very young. And my way of getting through it, which, by the way, is still my survival tech me- mechanism today, right. is... Sometimes you can't make sense of anything. Sometimes, sometimes you can't right. wait to explain it, right? Sometimes right. you had just have to move forward and try and protect yourself, mm-hmm. right? To have a forward-looking, how do I survive whatever this is mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. I can explain it, right? And I, what I say to folks is, I don't, whatever it is that motivates you, if you need to understand it to move forward, then go out and get yourself educated, but still protect yourself in the meantime. Right, exactly. But if you're not, if you're not that person who, like, you can't move until you understand it, like, that's not a good place to be because that may be what's holding some people back, right? Sometimes we just have to accept that and this is the situation. But not only follow instruction, but figure out like what comes next, because what what I know for sure is that in crisis, there's opportunity. Yeah. If you can absolutely. get through the crisis, absolutely. if you can protect yourself during the crisis, if you can plan during the crisis, 
on the other side of this is opportunity. The question is, are you going to succumb to whatever it is? And some of it you can't control, right? But if, but if you can protect yourself and not succumb to whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. like there will be opportunity for you on the other end for it. You got to keep your eye on that prize too while you're protecting yourself. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to get that too. Yeah, opp- well, I think it's even opportunity now. I don't think opportunity. I agree with that. Isn't yeah? Isn't just when we're on the other side of it. I feel like I agree. With I've that. there's been a couple of things, you know. So in my business as well, I've lost clients, or if it's not lost, it's certainly postponed. And the postponement in entrepreneurship is it might as well be lost because there ain't no mo- that money ain't coming in now. You know that work isn't coming in now. Like, so what does this mean now for me in my way? I'm not going to, this doesn't mean I down my tools. This doesn't mean I just stop. I have to then figure out what's my work now, you know? And I, I was just sharing in a meeting earlier that one of the things that I do at the beginning of the year, and my listeners know this, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about my goals, plan out my work. And I, and I immerse myself in like a three day kind of, the kind of work that I do with my clients, I put myself through my own design and mm-hmm. came out with a comprehensive strategy over the next three years and particularly like detailed plan for 2020 with my financial goals, with my activities, more my areas. And then we've got, we've got it all on the project plan and everything. That now is just like all that work. And it's like, no, no, that's not, that's not what we're doing right now. That's just, there's yeah. stuff on there that can stay. There's that I'm now looking like, what is it that I can bring into the now? But there's a lot on there that's just not going to happen, you know, or, or certainly not going to happen or now. Or how you adjust. Right. You so you've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to stay, you got to flex. you got to, you got to understand that any strategy that you write, any time, any plan is dynamic anyway, and it has to respond to the context. But this is but extreme again, context. And then in this extremity, how do I respond? I have, a, I have control over how I respond. Yeah. I do have yeah. that. And where we find our agency in this is there. Because I don't have control on anything else right now, really. So, so another point, though, because I always try to remember those who don't have what we have. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. When you are going through all of that stuff that we've talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Fear, family, Mm -hmm. financial crisis. Mm -hmm. You don't even have time to have a clear spot in your head. Right. To figure out what's next, which is why it's really important for companies to give people time, for people to take their own time. Whatever it does, whatever that space that you need to get to where you can think clearly. Mm -hmm. Right. And if that's separating yourself in a closet somewhere without the kids find your for a corner. Bit, exactly. Find your corner. Find your corner because if you can find your corner and get clarity, that's where you find the opportunity. And the example that there's so many examples I've heard of lately. One, a friend of mine, a guy, runs a business and his business uh, requires to date, had required him to be in front of clients all over the world selling his services. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when this thing happened, he's like, what am I going to do? And he said to me, I went to a quiet place 
And I realized that I couldn't afford to lose my clients. And so I said, I'm going to go find me someone who can help me turn my content into visualization. Right. Within a couple weeks, he had found that he had started to do it. And he said to me, he goes, I actually think that this is going to be better for me going down the line. He now has somebody exactly. following him. Right. So like how you, That's you, the opportunity. Have a, you need a corner, mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. for yourself away from all the stuff that's going on to figure out like, how do I get through this? And what could I do that's different? And how do I adjust? And who can, and by the way, and who can, who can help-, help me? Exactly. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to do it on your own. I think one of the things that you're also pointing to is it's important for us to keep asking those questions of ourselves is where yeah. we then elicit the start of yeah. the process of reflection and the answer coming. You right. know, so those questions, when we don't ask the question, so even when you feel stuck, the first question could just be, what can I do right now? And yeah. you might not have, and it's not like an immediate answer, but it starts yeah. the process of the thinking, of the reflection, yeah. and then it, the answer will come. But yeah. oftentimes when we are anxious, we stop asking questions and fear doesn't do that. Fear gives us answers. Fear gives us statements. I'm like, I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm upset. I'm frustrated. And it doesn't call on us to ask questions, but our curious mind will answer the questions that we pose to ourselves. Yeah. Once upon a time in one of our prior conversations, we talked about one of my favorite things that I do with my clients is I talk to them about like, you know, I call it the future bio, but to, Mm -hmm. you know, use it for this context, right? Like what do you, who do you see yourself as? Right. Right. And how, if you were being introduced in front of an audience in a year, how would they be describing you if right. you were doing what you wanted to be doing? Right. And once you can get that visualization in your head, the next question becomes, well, wait, what would it take for me to get from there, from here to there? Exactly. And usually the distance is not that far. Exactly. Right. Usually the distance is not that far. It's always and much closer becomes, than you think. It is always much closer mm-hmm. than you think. Every time that I have done this with myself and put out a plan of a year, I've achieved it in months. Right. Right. And then the question becomes, okay, so if that's the thing that I need, how do I get it? And usually when you ask for it, it's not that simple. But like when you figure out, here's what I really need. I did that recently with something and someone called me and said, Valerie, we really think that you should consider doing so-and-so. I said, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think what we want and what we need when we have clarity, it's easier to see. It's easier Mm -hmm. to put it out in the universe. And if you put it out with the right people, of course, you need to have relationships with people who could Mm -hmm. be helpful to you. I know this, I'm making this sound easier than it is. It's not, it's not easy, but it's also not impossible. Right. No, um, I mean, we're totally about, with you. Totally yeah, with what, you. Even in this so, time, I mean, the thing about when we start to visualize what we want and we start to see and stand in that, then we start to see the opportunities that absolutely. come our way. 
And in yeah. the absence of our original seeing, then we those opportunities that might be right in front of us, we don't see. So if we stand in, if, you, if people have been sitting in, there's no opportunity right now, or we're stuck, or it's doomed, or it's whatever that story is. We, and I, when I don't mean story as a dismissive, like the thing that we hold as our assessment of our situation, then... I'm not going to see the opportunity. And someone might be in this conversation going, there's opportunity. What are you talking about? But at least now look and see what could be yeah. the opportunity in this moment for you. And it might be just that your own, it might be like that outside of yourself. It's just like my own personal growth in how I develop myself in this moment in dealing with this. It could be in your relationship with the people in your family. It could That's be an right. opportunity to deepen your relationship in the people in your family. You yeah. know Marsha Haygood, right? Marsha, you know Marsha Haygood. We've met. Do you remember Marsha from I, Yeah, yeah. Marsha is a very good friend of mine, and she um, has been saying to folks, "We did this in a happy hour that she did with a bunch of her friends last weekend." And she said, "You know, one thing that everybody says they don't have enough of is time." Right. <laughs> And right. now we actually have time because we're home. Right. Like use that time to figure out like what, what, what would you love to be doing? If it's a book you wanted to write, now's the time to do exactly. it. There's so many exactly easy ways right. to write a book these days. And if, and by the way, if you want some help, think of who do you know that's written one? Who do you know that knows somebody mm-hmm. who's written one? Mm-hmm. Because those people are probably home now too. <laughs> so exactly. It's an example, or other people right? who want to write one that you can support each other on achieving that. Last year, one of the things that, I mean, my listeners know this, when I did my review of 2019, one of the things I said, because I, I traveled 27 weeks in 2019, and we know there's only 52 wow. weeks. So I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not committed to that in 2020. I want to spend more time with my family and do less travel. And guess what happened? I I'm spending more time with my family. I'm doing less travel. And so I, you know, I'm appreciating that we get to, as a family, sit down and have dinner together every night. And for some people, they might be like, well, that happens. And it just doesn't happen in my family as regularly. You know, if I, because Dan and I, we play tag, you know, so I arrive home usually and he leaves because we, our commitment is to always have a parent at home as much as we can. So, that has an impact of obviously yeah. right and yeah. and yeah. we get to like have moments that we that we wouldn't have like my daughter is like in between her lessons today she's baking amaretto biscuits oh, so how I said wonderful. To her, what what what's happening if you finish school she goes no i've got a zoom call later but i decided to bake amaretto biscuits i'm like okay why her. not why not right why not so it really is like what I love that the overarching question and it doesn't take away the grief and the the sheer heaviness in this moment and then there's another side in this spectrum where we can say what's the opportunity of this moment too for for us and I really feel like we have to see light in this too we have to see light because if you can only see darkness it's not it's only that's going to take you in one place you Absolutely. have to see the light and you have to create 
if you can't Sometimes see the light, you have then to create your light. You have to create your light. And if yeah, you can't create yeah. your light on your own, you have to partner with someone who can create that light with you or That's for right. you. That's right. Because it's heavy and it's going to get heavier. Absolutely. And I think that we have not seen the worst of this crisis. So. Unfortunately, we haven't. You know, I wish that that was the case. But we that is not the case. We have not seen the worst. I'm with you on that. And so... And then in it for the long haul, because, and I think that's the other thing is like last week or last week's episode, I was talking about creating new routines because you are now, this isn't a temporary, this is like, oh, we just off for two weeks or we just shut down. This is like, we actually don't know when we're coming out Mm -hmm. truly. And Mm -hmm. so we crave, we need routines and part Mm -hmm. of what's been the issue is that our routine has gone, the things that we rely on, the things that was automatic. And we are making so many decisions to, today. We have like quadrupled the number of decisions that we've had to make in a day. And that's why another reason why people are so exhausted, because you should just think, if I need to go to the grocery store, you would just go to the grocery store. You didn't have to yeah. think this is like, it's now turned into a literally a military operation yeah. to get to the yeah. grocery store and back. And, and all the anxiety. Way, and there's nothing there when you get there. And it's, you still can't get any toilet paper, apparently. I don't or understand meat. it. Or meat. Or, or meat. meat. Or more meat. Or like staples, right? Like things like rice. Right. Yeah. It's, right. it's <laughs> So it leaves, right? which builds anxiety. Again, yeah. you know, so this, so we need to, uh, Yeah. So how are you taking, so then it's like, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you like, yeah, because yeah. that's another thing I've been talking to my listeners about. And I think that, I think that is number, numero uno. So numero I, uno. um, I have a couple of routines that I had before the crisis that I continue to maintain, or at least I try to, <laughs> as I was saying to a good friend of mine yesterday, like I try to stick with the routines. I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't schedule calls before 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. and after 4 p.m. Right. Now I have one client that I have at nine o'clock every Tuesday morning. So I break that every Tuesday morning, right. but it's because they're a client and they're paying me. Right. Yeah. Um, but generally I'm I'm up fairly early, but I need the morning to get myself ready for the day. So mm-hmm. I'm working, but I'm not on calls handling business with people before 10 o'clock generally. Yeah. And then I try to wrap up by four. And so in the morning I'm getting ready for like all the things that I need to knock out in the Mm -hmm. day. And then the evening I'm generally catching up on email, which is a nightmare. I never really catch up on all of them, but I'm, I've gotten to be okay with that. Right. And I'm doing all the things that got generated as a result of the day. So something that needs my comment or client proposal or something of that nature, I'm mm-hmm. doing an evening. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I generally try and wrap up uh, by six. We have dinner together. We'll sit around and chat. You know, I'll log back on late at night to, you know, anything that's in my head before I go to bed will keep me awake. So I will right. log back in again late at night to uh, clear my head. But in those two windows, I'm doing things that are important to me. I'm making mm-hmm. breakfast. Um, I'm cleaning. By the way, cleaning is the, is good for me. 
Because cleaning, I'm thinking when I'm cleaning. I'm coming yeah. up with ideas when I'm cleaning. I, not only am I cleaning the house, but I'm cleaning my head. Yes, so I'm doing that at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, so those are, and then, you know, outside of the crisis, I always, I had a regular routine of when I got my hair done, when I got my nails done, mm-hmm. all that stuff made me feel great. Uh, don't ask me what we're going to do now that we've been in the house for weeks, but who cares? No one's looking at we me. We are learning you. how to do our own hair. That's what's happening. Again. Yeah, well, I haven't done anything with mine in weeks. It still um, looks beautiful. Thank you. Um, but like those, I know what I, I know first and foremost, surely I know what I need and what right. I need is time to think and time to focus. And I need a clean house and I need my family to be comfortable. And then from 10 to four every day, I'm just You're back to back to back to back to back. You're and I'm, I'm working and I'm barely eating. Right. So I make sure I eat in the morning. I make sure I eat in the evening because sometimes. I go a whole, I go an entire 10 to four and I don't snack or anything. I should be thin as a rail giving how little I eat during the day. <laughs> uh, but that is also not the case. But I'm just, I'm a workaholic from 10 to four. Mm-hmm. And I commit to myself that I'll go hard. That's how I was in corporate America, by the way. Like I went hard for the day. But when I stepped away, I step away. You step away. I wanted to... Um come to your book and your your early years and how um can we pivot can we shift to that sure sure and how that has influenced you as an adult and you in your Mm. life and you in what you've created for yourself for your life um because I believe that our obviously we're a product of that but also you know, I'm curious about when women are successful, what happened and what did they make of what happened in their life that has enabled them or supported them or guided them or led them to where they are right now? And you've had quite so, um, yeah, some tragic circumstances, me, you know? For me, my all of my early years were fraught with, change and challenge Mm -hmm. and difficulty and problem on top of problem, whether it was living conditions financially, you know, psychologically, like it, it, there was just so much during that period of time from, you know, I I tell the story in my book about how my parents divorced when I was three Mm -hmm. and I was born in South Carolina to sharecroppers. I was the last of three kids, as my dad sometimes told me, I was not supposed to be here. <laughs> I, came, I came very late in life with my parents. And by the time that I was three, they were divorcing. My mom moved. And at the time, as you might know, the great migration from the South, right? Like mm-hmm. the Blacks were moving from the South to the North for better opportunities. And my mom joined her siblings who had moved to the North, mm-hmm. to New York. And my father joined his siblings that had moved to Connecticut. So they went in two different directions. And I was left to live with a family who I became very close to in South Carolina, one of my mother's very best friends, because neither of them could afford to take care of me where they were going. Right. But my mom sent for me the first time when I was six 
Okay. And I came back to New York. Uh, she had remarried by then to a man by the name of Moses, but unfortunately he was abusing her. I talk about an instance that I witnessed. And shortly after that, my mom sent me back to South Carolina because she didn't want me to see that. So okay. I went back and forth for a number of years between South Carolina and New York, changing schools every year. When my mom sent back for me the next time, joined another school, but yet the living conditions were always a challenge, whether it was, you know, no heat in one place or couldn't afford another place or the rodents in another place. Like we moved every year. So I was in a different school every year. So between the living conditions, the divorce, the financial issues, the abuse, you know, I talk in my book about, you know, drug abuse of people that I was around, mm-hmm. like all of that. And then, you know, one of my brothers uh, committed suicide. Thank God the other one is still around. He and I are very close. But our middle brother uh, committed suicide when I was in high school. And that threw me for a loop. It threw my mother for even a bigger loop. So a couple of years later, it comes time to go to college. I may, I applied to one college, Fordham University, because I felt like I couldn't be far away from her. Like I wanted to be there for her. And I go to Fordham and after my freshman year headed into my sophomore year, my mom committed suicide as well. Wow. I dropped out of Fordham when my mom committed suicide. I was just lost, you know, like it had just been she and I for years. And I felt like, you know, I had abandoned her. It was my fault. And so I lost my way for a long time. And then I tell a story in my book about uh, spending time with my grandmother. Like it was, it was the thing that I lived for was going to see my grandmother in South Carolina and sitting on her porch and just sitting in her wisdom you know, she and I would always talk about my mom and the fact that everything that my mom did was for me. Mm-hmm. My mom was working three jobs for me. My mom, like she, everything she did was because she wanted me to have a better life than she did. Right. You know, when she sent me back to South Carolina. It was for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized that I would never be able to understand why my life had been that way, that it was all supposed to be a lesson for me to learn from. I went back to Fordham with a vengeance. I joined the Federal Reserve. That moved me to J.P. Morgan. And while I still can't explain it, I know, I feel like my life was meant to be lived so that I could help other people who struggled like my mom, right? to come out on the other side of that so that I can be here Mm -hmm. and speak up for the hope, the the people who have no hope or the people who struggle to make a living. Right. There were days when my mom was so depressed that she, you know, she couldn't put a full meal on the table. So, you know, life was very hard, but I also, I believe that all of those things that were the beginning of my life, the change, the challenge, the problem solving, like that became my expertise. Mm. <laughs> like that's who I am. When right. people hire me, they hire me because I know how to look. You know, when we were moving, it was okay, this is not going to work. So we're going to find something else. So that, that's kind of what I did for a living. Right. I turn, you know, 
that not being afraid of change and challenge and not being afraid of struggle and always trying to find something. My mom taught me that there was always something better than what we had. Like she didn't allow us to live in conditions that she felt were not good for us. She did not, as much as she lost her own hope in her own way, what she taught me was that you never settle for something that, you know, is not good for you. Mm-hmm. And you're always trying to find a solution to whatever this problem is. And that's kind of who I am now, Shirley, right? <laughs> like, that's what I do for companies. It's like, you, it's like you became your superpower. It, it's almost like the change. Some people, some people die in that situation, not knowing mm-hmm. how to get out. I think mm-hmm. somehow I turned all of those characteristics of my life to my gift. Yeah. I can't explain it, but I'm just following it. I'm, yes. I feel, you know, God has a plan for me and he wants me to teach other people how you get through that kind of challenge and change. And so that's what I try to spend my time doing. Wow. So how, how much did the book help in you, in, in your movement forward in this and into um, where you are now? Like, cause there's even, even the move out of chase. It's a big move, you know, you've been oh, in yes. Call for America for how many years is that? Because you were 21 years of the flip. 33. Right. 33. Right. So, yeah. you know, and how, and, and I'm curious about the process of writing your story. Yes. Like, well, I, how did I, that contribute? I talk about this in the book. The metamorphosis for me was not necessarily in writing the book. Mm-hmm. It was the story that got me to writing the book whereby... You know, people who have known me for years did not know my story because I never talked about it. Okay. And as you might imagine, I'm growing up in all this strife and struggle. I didn't have any friends. You can't have friends if you're a kid moving from one school to another school every year and moving from one house to another house. My friends were my cousins, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So here I am. I get to corporate America. I'm meeting people for the first time. They had no idea what I had been through. Right. So as I'm starting to come of my own and I'm now this, you know, senior person at the Federal Reserve and people are asking me to come give speeches, whenever I was giving speeches in the community, I would share a little bit of a story I hadn't shared before because I felt like those people needed it. Mm-hmm. And the more I shared and the more I could see them get hope in my story, the mm-hmm. more I realized I needed to tell the story. And so... Every time I went out, I was giving a little bit more of myself away. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, like there are people in whole communities that know my story, but yet my friends don't know my story. And then I was having a conversation with a phenomenal man, George Frazier, who mm-hmm. runs PowerNet. And George said to me, Valerie, you have to tell the story. People need your story. Right. Tell right. your story while you can tell it. Yeah. And. Yeah. It just, I felt like God put George in my space and, and I wrote the story and, and I I didn't care whether I sold a book, Shirley. I was, I'm just going to go and everywhere I go, I'm just going to give this book away. And I will say to you, the book sells better today, uh, five years later than it sold when I was writing it because Mm -hmm. it's mandatory reading in certain schools in New York city, companies give it out. Every people of all backgrounds connect 
to the story, whether they connect to the domestic abuse with Moses or whether they connect with the suicide of my brother or the suicide of my mother or the financial issues or like people all over the world. The book is read all over the world by people who need to need some hope mm-hmm. and need to know that they're not the only person that's going through what they're yeah. going. Through. So writing the book made me realize how much we need, we each of us needs to share our story. Cause when we share our stories, not only do we heal, but we help others heal as well. Yeah. I, right? you know, it's like, you know what we were talking about earlier about there has to be, you have to find the light. Yeah. It's like when people are reading your book that it allows them to find the light. That's right. That's right. In your, in your story. Cause if they are where you were, there's like, there, there is a way through. Yeah. There yeah. is a way through. And I get notes all the time. I get a note from a woman last week. I say one of the best things I did. And also one of the most stressful things that I did was in the back page of my book is my email address. <laughs> <laughs> This is part of the reason why I can't keep up with email because here five, five years later, and now, by the way, I get them on Instagram all over. But last week right. I got a note from someone on Instagram, a private message from someone. And they were like, I just re- finished reading your story and, and it gives me hope. And that that I know is the reason why God want me, wanted me right. to give out that story. Right. Because I know, Shirley, I couldn't save my mom. But I or my brother, mm-hmm. but I absolutely know that in telling my story, I've saved many, many lives. Right. And I feel I feel fortunate to have realized that there was something positive to come out of my story, because mm-hmm. uh, I know many people who ha- who are going through today what I may have gone through and they don't they can't see their way out. No. Right. No. I feel like the the, the Sir so George was the um, was the guardian angel. Yeah, right? he certainly was. He certainly I, was. I saw him speak at a conference in January, and he was phenomenal. And was planning to attend the the conference this year, so I was excited about that. But let's see if that's so actually going to happen. So when I finished the book, <laughs> I sent it to George, and he wrote a forward to it. And he said to me, he called me and he said, Valerie, you have written a story for your children, for your children's children, for your children's children's children. You have written a book for the ages, my dear. Congratulations. And I will forever so be grateful to him because he was the spark that lit my right. fire. Right. Yeah. Right. I also, you know, the other thing that I think is really powerful is um, for people who meet you as an adult and didn't know your story, the assumptions that people make about people, you know, when you have the gap, when you have the gap in the, in the information, you make stuff up and no one would have imagined how far you've come and what you've dealt with. And it tells us so much about you, you know, like, like there's, there's real, like, um, I don't want to move for that actually. You know, there's a, let me just kind of make this, there's this, it's not just resilience. There's a strength and there's a, there's a commitment to life Mm. in who you are. 
many people say to me, including all of those people who knew me but didn't know my story, mm-hmm. after they read the story, the common, the common comment that I get from those people are, oh, now we understand you. Right. Right. I think after people hear my story, they understand how driven I am. Mm-hmm. Um, how committed I am to life, how committed I am to hope, mm-hmm. how committed I am to finding that person who just needs to have a ray of hope. Mm-hmm. And to that person, by the way, back to the thing we talked about earlier, who just needs to step out of whatever they've been through and stop trying to explain it. Mm. Some things we may never be able right. to explain. Right. And if that's what's holding us back, we have to let it go and accept that we'll never be able to understand why our life is the way that our life. But right. if you never accept where you've been, you could never identify where you have the potential to right. go. Right. So acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. It is Except what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. But it doesn't have to stay what it is. Right. Right. It is what it is. We are where we are. We've all made mistakes. We've all had, you know, things happen in our lives that maybe people don't know. But it doesn't mean that tomorrow has to be the same way. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's where I think the biggest, the most powerful kind of lesson that people um, and I know for myself, as I as I got older, the moment where I got I got choice in something like you can choose another way and you can choose it to be different. And in the choice, then, then I, then the next question is, okay, now what do I do to have it be different? You know, that's right. That's right. That's right. Have it be different. And you have to be able to dream it, right. You have to be able to dream something different in order to make it a reality. Right. Right. Right? Exactly. If you can't see it, you can't, it's you such a cliche. It. it sounds like such a cliche, but it is so true. If you can't see yeah. it, you can't achieve it. Yeah. No, no. You have to be able to dream it to achieve it, right? Yeah. You have to be able to see something that sparks something in you, right? right. That makes you want to be that thing, right? For me, it was, you know, going to a different high school. I talk about this in my book. I went to a different high school. Like I never knew people could live that good because I was coming from the projects. Yeah. So, like, when I was like, well, wait, if they can do that, I can do that. Right. And then, we, <laughs> then you're in a different trajectory. That's right. Right. Um, exactly. You know, right. if I only knew what I know now then, right? Mm-hmm. If I knew then what I know now, girl. Because that would have been my quite one of my questions. So let's go there. I wish I knew all that I was capable of in the latter part of my career in corporate America became crystal clear to me was there's no reason why I couldn't have been a CEO. There are a couple of reasons why that never happened for me. Number one, I got a little bit of a late start in realizing who I could be. Uh, Number two, corporate America isn't ready for some of us to be CEOs. I wish I knew that sooner because I would have achieved that Mm -hmm. in corporate America Mm -hmm. on my terms. But that's why I was so determined to become my own CEO outside of corporate America. So if you have a message for our listeners in this moment now, what would your primary message be? 
You know, and I, I would come back to, because we are, you know, first and foremost, take care of yourself, take care of your family, protect your family. This is not a joke. This is serious. Many, many people are going to die. I don't, I don't, I want it to be as few people as possible. If you have to leave the house, try not to, but if you have to leave the house, protect yourself, Mm -hmm. wear your gloves, wear your mask, reach out to other people there. I mean, people are dying alone, right? Like this is time for us to take care of each other, for us to take care of ourselves. I mean, I don't actually believe anything that anybody is saying about what causes it, right? Like pretend it's airborne because that's a worst case scenario. Plan for that. And if you happen to be in that situation, where you're losing hope because you've lost a job and you've lost a family member. Like I, I just want those people to, to try to hold on, mm-hmm. um, to try to not, not lose hope. I mean, it's very, very hard to explain it. God has a, God has some sort of plan. We don't really understand with this thing, but we're not all supposed to demise from this. This no. is not about the world ending, and we need people to, you know, take care of what they need to take care of, but don't give up. Don't give up at all. You know, all of the rest of this is great conversation, but right now I think that's the message that everybody needs to hear. Hope right. And not hope. Up. Well, find the light is one of the ways that emerged in this. And in the midst of it all, try to find a corner. Right. Where that's you nice. can have some quiet time mm-hmm. to keep your head clear on what you need to be focused on, because if you can find that time in that space, a word will come to you that might perhaps help you pull through. Thank you. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. Well, that interview was so rich, wasn't it? You know, from us just exchanging and sharing our thoughts around what is the lessons that we have to learn in this moment and that we can take forward how she's responding herself and the challenges herself and what she's doing in terms of supporting the leaders that she works with and this critically important work that she does and has been doing and i think the thing for me that really inspires me is when I've talked about this podcast about locating the hidden figures, those people who are beavering away in organizations, those black women, let me just be more specific, who are beavering away in organizations across the country, across globally, in fact, making huge differences in our lives. And we don't even know it. And we don't even know it. But her, the difference that she has made to, to the black executives in the organizations that she has worked in the difference that she has made is will continue to make the difference that she makes to those organizations who finally are really seizing the talent that is in their organization right and that they're not harnessing is is you know which is so frustrating in in so many ways that they actually get to harness the talent that is within their organization and that those obstacles can get remove that are there for black black leaders and black um, people who are working in corporate America. So I'm really, really appreciate 
Valerie's work. I'm grateful to her. I'm grateful to everything she's done and I'm grateful to everything that she will do as she as she forwards through. And the other thing is just so moving to see how far she's come given the circumstances in her personal life as she grew up and how she's used that experience to teach others, to support others, to to really care and love others in the way that she so generously has shared her story. So I appreciate you, Valerie. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Please, please, please want to watch people and to keep tracking what the great work that Valerie's doing. You know I want to hear from you, so do not hesitate to get in contact with me. You can DM me at Shirley McAlpine or you can go to the Facebook page, She's Got Drive, or you could go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me and get in contact with me. Don't forget to sign up for my vision workshop, which is on the Saturday, the 25th of April. It's for $30 and it includes a She's Got Drive journal that will be sent to you. Please sign up for that. Obviously the numbers are limited, so you get on that case. We're gonna have lots of fun and do a powerful vision workshop that I have done many times with my clients. And so I wanna do that work with you. The other thing to do is obviously if you're a coach and if you are an aspiring coach or you wanna explore being a coach, then there's my coaching workshop, which is on Thursday, the 23rd of April as well. So that's that's that. And you could sign up for that at shirleymcalpine.com forward slash coach. Both of those links are in the show notes. And there's also my daily love notes you can sign up for. If you want a bit of love coming into your inbox each day, please sign up for that. And if you're interested in you're thinking about your self-care, there's also the self-care quiz that you can do to assess how are you doing around your own self-care. And the second thing that you can do is give you some ideas and things that you can do to kind of up your game in the space of self-care. I am pushing out as much resources as I can to be helpful and I hope that you grab them and you run with them. Okay, so She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>